Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns, to tell you about Organifi Green Superfood Powder. This is a great tasting green powder. It's amazing, but true. Mix it in water and it's delicious. So you'll use it every single day to get a nice dose of greens, especially if you're traveling, especially if you're trying to go keto and you're not eating that many carbs. This is a great way to ensure that you get all the nutritious benefits in a variety of fruits and vegetables. Mix it in your smoothie. I mix it with my ketone supplement. So even when I'm not eating, I get my greens every single day. Why don't you try some? Go over to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, and enter the code PRIMAL at checkout, and you will get 15% off your first order. Enjoy! Primal Endurance Podcast. It's your host, Brad Kearns. We're going big time into Q&A today, okay? Thank you so much for all the questions. Here we go. So, interesting themes coming up. Some of these questions are going to be grouped together sort of thing. But let's get into it and hear from real people facing real challenges, trying to do their best, and writing in eloquent, thoughtful questions. Okay. Adam says, I have a problem with my left calf and Achilles. I feel like the problem is a result of running form being forced to suffer because I'm going slower to keep my heart rate down. It requires a shuffle run to stay under 135. Oh, listen to this. I started out going 16 to 17 minutes per mile. Now I'm down to 14 to 15 minutes per mile. So a huge, fantastic improvements due to the commitment to aerobic heart rates. However, prior to adopting the math method, I was running at nine minutes per mile pace. So you had to slow down from nine to 17 at first and now down to 14 minute miles. My theory is that the slow pace is what's causing the problem. I know heart rate has to be low, but I think I'm doing damage to my running form. If I go faster, I can focus on proper hip extension from the hamstrings and glutes so my leg passes under my body in a bent position, which takes the pressure off my calf. Going this slow, I can't do that. I think I'm increasing the stress on my calves. My right leg's fine. My left leg complains. Um, Here's another one from uh, someone else. I'm difficulty transitioning to aerobic training is the motion, range of motion in my running step. At the higher, faster pace, I feel like my step is better. I get a better range of motion in my hips. I'm trying to keep heart rate down and maintaining this uh, good stride pattern gets my heart rate right up to 145. So, what's the best course of action? Should I keep starting and stopping or trying to maintain a more consistent pace, almost tiptoeing around? Uh, So, both these people struggling with that idea that slowing down messes with your pace to the extent of causing injuries. Um, Yeah, I have a problem with this. It seems that um, when you're going slower, you're getting less impact trauma, there's less injury risk, and it just it's hard to believe that slowing your pace down is going to cause you to be injury prone. However, I've heard this from 
more than a couple people that they're having trouble adjusting to the slower running form. They might complain of tightness or stiffness. And I really think that there's no getting around this importance of moderating your aerobic heart rate. So you're not going to get a free pass from me to say, well, run faster if your calf hurts when you run slow. I think we have to look at the big picture, especially when in Adam's case of why one calf is hurting and it's not the other. So you have some mobility, flexibility issues. Can you hold a deep squat for several minutes without a complaining of uh, a- aching or tightness or falling over back onto your butt? Um, those kind of things. What's your functional fitness like? What's your mobility like? Look at TD Athletes Edge YouTube channel. That's Tim D. Francesco. He's been on the show a long time ago. You can listen to his uh, archive podcast, but he's the former Lakers uh, strength and conditioning expert who will give you some uh, tests and assessments to see what your functional fitness is like and where some weaknesses might be. We also have some incredible content from him in the Primal Endurance online mastery course. So, If you have some injuries or some concerns, I would get on that course, sign up, and go right to Tim's videos. Um, We have the videos uh, alphabetized by the name of the guest or the expert, and then we also have them fitting into the various chapters of the book. So you'll find Tim's stuff in the um, strength training and the mobility, flexibility chapters, but also under his last name. Um, When you're running slowly, and you're trotting along, it's still possible to achieve good form. But if you look at all the running technique instruction videos in Primal Endurance Online Course, you'll see me talking about the bicycle pattern and the high knees and the explosive uh, foot off the ground and dorsiflexing the foot. When you're running really slow, 14 minutes a mile or, or what have you, even nine minutes a mile, um, all that stuff does not come into play as extremely or as significantly as it does when you're cranking out five-minute miles like an elite athlete. So you don't have to be as explosive. There's not as much of a penalty for not being explosive, for being a little slappy or lazy with your foot. However, as I demonstrate in the videos, uh, very graphically, running at a very slow pace, I show the difference between just dragging your foot along, lazy foot, and keeping your center of gravity balanced and being a little light on your feet. Um, You go watch a track meet and watch the 100-meter runners take their victory lap after running uh, nine-something 100 meters, and as they're jogging around the track, you can see the graceful and beautiful stride that they have uh, running like a deer, so light on their feet, even when they're just jogging. It kind of looks like they're on their tiptoes, but that's an illusion, as we know. Um, You strike with your midfoot, and then you allow your heel to drop down almost to the ground or touching the ground. And that's where you get your explosive stride pattern. Your explosive or your maximum efficiency stride pattern if you're running too slow to be called explosive by anybody. Um, So I'm sorry for a little bit of a um, saucy answer, but stick with it. Adhere to the heart rate guidelines if you want to uh, improve as an aerobic, as an endurance athlete, and try to exhibit good form, being light on your feet, and efficient with your foot strike rather than lazy. Um, It feels great, and I think the videos will really help. So um, skip to that spot in the uh, Primal Endurance course, the running technique instruction videos, and you'll see that nice uh, stride pattern where (laughs) essentially when I talk about the bicycle stride and the explosive foot and having your toe clear your opposite knee when you're sprinting or running fast, basically what you're doing is you're pedaling 
uh, smaller pedals, but you're still making this bicycle pattern when you're going really slow, but your feet aren't going that high off the ground and you're just kind of doing a little pitter-patter uh, running like a graceful animal rather than a plotter. Um, here's the next question from Matthias in Germany. Oh, I love hearing from people internationally. It's so mind-blowing to think, here's this podcast I'm recording in Sacramento, California in my little makeshift studio, and it's going out easily accessed with the push of a button all over the world. So, Dankeschön, Matthias. He says in sprints, in your book, you insist that sprints should only be done during intensity periods and never during aerobic periods. But since intensity periods are limited to only a few during the year, and since you should do sprints every 7 to 10 days, doesn't that lead to only doing a few sprints a year? What if I don't plan any intensity periods at all, sticking to aerobic for the whole year? Does that mean I shouldn't do any sprints? Doesn't the Primal Blueprint suggest year-round sprints as a means to better health? Um, This is a great question, and it comes up frequently, where we have this disparity between the Primal Blueprint boilerplate recommendation, you know, the 10 laws of the Primal Blueprint concerning exercise, it's move frequently, lift heavy things, and sprint once in a while. That's for total fitness. That's to adhere to our ancestral pattern, our genetic expectations for health. The explosive exercise is a critical component to building overall fitness competency, delaying the aging process, getting all the health benefits, even the brain function benefits of sprinting. Now, we have the devoted endurance athlete pursuing endurance competitive goals. And how do we mix in the general recommendation to sprint and lift weights and be active with the specifics of endurance training and trying to achieve those goals? So what the Primal Endurance book tried to do was extract the primal principles and apply them directly to the unique and highly uh, specialized challenge of pursuing endurance goals. That's when things like periodization come into play. That's when things like these intensity blocks that are uh, gapped with a rest period and a rebuilding of your aerobic base. And the reason why um, the rules and guidelines are so different for endurance athletes is because um, the aerobic improvement, the aerobic conditioning is such a huge uh, factor in your success. It has by far the biggest return on investment and it's woefully and disgracefully um, uh, de-emphasized by the vast majority of endurance athletes. So the vast majority of endurance athletes are out there throwing in a fair amount of high-intensity sessions, intervals, tempo runs, uh, even pure sprint workouts in some cases, or doing that black hole aerobic training where every single workout is a little too hard to be considered aerobic, and you're stimulating these other energy pathways like the glucose-burning anaerobic pathways. So you're not conditioning your body well aerobically. You're not an efficient fat burner. Uh, Just like Adam relates, he had to go from running nine-minute miles up to 16 to 17 minutes a mile just to keep his bloody heart rate in the aerobic zone. So that disparity between your training pace, whatever you want to call it, your black hole pace where you're not monitoring heart rate and your actual maximum aerobic function rate, um, that indicates a severe deficiency in fat adaptation, fat burning. So we want to look toward diet, and there's so many great shows about that, including the shows that we're talking about keto, and we want to look toward slowing down and building that aerobic base without the interference or the stimulation of anaerobic activity. So to Matthias's question, if you're taking a year 
to rebuild your base after a pattern of injuries, illness, uh, or extreme endurance goals like doing ultras, uh, Ironmans, things where you're um, going for so many hours that the anaerobic stimulation is uh, very minimal and almost irrelevant, then, yeah, there's not a big call for sprints because the um, recovery time after a sprint is significant and the energy expenditure is significant and you only have a certain, let's say there's a, uh, a, a pie chart of the energy that you have to devote to training, right? So if you're doing frequent sprinting, you're putting a lot of energy out into that. You're getting good at sprinting. Congratulations. You're getting good at doing squats or deadlifts, lifting weights if you're throwing that into your schedule. But that is taking up a big slice of your pie, leaving less to aerobic development. So referencing back to my time as a professional triathlete where I was trying to get competent in the swim. I did Olympic distance, so I was trying to swim a mile really fast. So I was training for the mile swim. I was also training for the 40K time trial on the bike, and I was training to get off that bike and run a 10K really fast as close to my uh, flat-out you know, rested pace as I could. In other words, not having that bike take a lot out of my legs. So my training was specifically designed to meet those objectives. Um, People would ask at uh, uh, lectures, hey, is it a good idea to do weights for a triathlete? Is it a good idea to do yoga? Is it a good idea to do this, that, and the other thing? And of course, these are all good fitness um, goals, fitness workouts, suggestions, but you have to go where there's most return on investment. And interestingly for me, I found that the extreme over-distance endurance bike rides in the mountains were the best form of training for me to excel at Olympic distance triathlon, which is a really fast-paced, high-intensity, hour and 48-minute slam bang where you're swimming all out, you're getting on the bike, you're biking all out, and then you're getting off the bike and running an all-out 10K while you're in a fatigue state. So when I could get competent at aerobic heart rates, climbing in the mountains for a seven-hour ride, that translated directly into becoming a faster 10K runner off the bike. Um, Previously, we thought it was so important to go kill ourselves on the track and do a set of six times 800 meters at 212 to 220, depending on who showed up. And it was just absolutely brutal running efforts, which maybe if you're a track star and you're going for you know, the Olympic trials, 1,500 meters or 5,000 meters where you're needing that sharpness, that speed, that explosiveness, then you get those hard interval running into your system. But as a triathlete, they were so fatiguing and took so much time to recover from um, that it didn't matter as much as the having that strength, that background of strength where you could get through the bike and not be fried. And, you know, I'm going off on an aside here, but just like with um, Adam's question where he's training at nine minute pace and now all of a sudden he's at 16 to 17. If you were a triathlete, let's say you're a pro runner, pro triathlete, and you could do a 10K fresh uh, in 31 minutes, but then you go into a triathlon race and you're doing 33 and a half minutes, um, that's a pretty big disparity between your fresh performance and your off the bike performance. So it indicates putting more work in on the bike is going to close that gap you might not be able to improve your fresh time with doing all that bike training. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to get under 31 minutes just from doing these long rides, but what it might enable me is to take my triathlon 10K split time down from 33.5 to 32 flat and closer to my all-out fresh performance. And that is the name of the game for that specific athletic objective. 
Same with an ultra marathon runner, same with an Ironman distance triathlete where you're trying to get through 9, 10, 12, 14 hours of exercise. There's no reason to sprint uh, in general when you're talking about those goals. Now, will you be fitter? Will you have more total fitness, more balance if you throw in strength training and sprinting? Yes. Over the long view of your endurance career, if you're doing this stuff for 10 years and you're throwing in not only the ultra-distance stuff, but you also like to do an adventure race here and there, Spartan race, whatever, then, of course, you start to broaden your scope, you broaden your lens of what fitness really means. In my case, I raced on pro circuit for nine years. I was very focused on doing that narrow activity of swimming, biking, and running quickly. But as soon as I retired, I realized, wow, there's a whole bigger picture of fitness here, and my capabilities are just a tiny, tiny slice of the big picture. So I don't think it was good that I could barely lift sandbags to save the driveway in a rainstorm without feeling stiff and sore the next day, or I water ski for a two and a half minute pole and I can't put my shirt on the next day. I was a narrowly focused creature, good for very, very little except for racing Olympic distance triathlon. And as I broadened my perspective of fitness, I realized how important and how fun it is to gain competency at high jumping, sprinting, um, being able to do 100 decline Spider-Man push-ups several days a week, and all these great things that are now my new ambition as an old guy and bringing me more balanced fitness than um, the narrowly focused triathlete. Um, So back to Matthias's, uh, he has a two-part question. He's talking about intensity. I find it contradictory that on one hand, you promise better performance with strictly aerobic training and even emphasize the dangers of chronic cardio, and on the other hand, you recommend intensity weeks. In addition to that, I think the book lacks details on how intensity should be introduced. Granted, the appendix gives two examples, but I would be interested in some general guidelines for intensity workouts. Hey, how about that? We're keeping it real on Primal Endurance. As a stark contrast to certain other podcasts who shall remain nameless, where they start out every show reading a glowing, effusive praise letter from one of their readers. I'm like, our listeners, all right already. So anyway, Matthias, let's get down and dirty, man. That's a very good point that you make. Um, We're talking about slowing down, slowing down. You're going to get better. Stick with your math heart rate. And then chapter uh, five and six are getting into strength training and intensity. So what we want to take a step back here and look at is first and foremost, Build your aerobic capabilities. Get away from anything that remotely resembles a chronic pattern in your training program. So mostly that's disciplining that heart rate during your aerobic sessions, during your over-distance sessions to maintain uh, at 180 minus your age or below or well below, speaking of that. Then when you've built that base and you're feeling strong and you're not getting injured and sick and having setbacks and craving sugar in the evenings, you're clicking along fine, you've handled the, uh, you know, as far as the triage in the emergency room, we stopped the bleeding, now we can address, you know, uh, maybe the other scrape that's uh, uh, needing some treatment, but it's not as, not as serious. Okay, so once you uh, graduate or get out of that gateway of building an aerobic base, then the intensity will trigger dramatic improvements in your fitness performance. You're not going to be world beater if you're going out there running 14 minutes a mile aerobic heart rate. It's just as simple as that. Now, if you put in some time and you put in some months and you're dropping your aerobic heart rate uh, pace 
down from 17 to 16 to 15 to 14 to 12.47 per, per mile. And you're really seeing this amazing improvement. Now you can throw down some anaerobic sessions, intervals, tempo runs, whatever, some sprints, even a workout as brief in duration as four times 100 meters, which was my go-to sprint workout for many years. I don't do much more now, even though I've been doing sprinting for 10 years. Now I'm up to whoop-de-doo, six times 100 meters or two times 200 and four times 100. And it's taken this long just to throw in a little bit more volume because, again, the sprinting is all about quality. So really what I've been trying to do is run faster and uh, stimulate more improvement, more injury resilience from the experience, not adding more volume to high-intensity workouts. So a triathlete who has built a strong base and then goes out there a couple times a month and puts in four times 100-meter sprints will, due to the benefits of sprinting, have this reduction in perceived exertion at all intensity levels. So if you throw sprinting into your, uh, into your training program during those distinct periods of periodization, you will have an eight-minute mile pace feel easier than ever before. You will be more resilient to keeping that eight-minute-per-mile pace for more miles. So your sprint workouts will directly help your marathon performance if and only if you have that solid aerobic base. Um, the other thing I should um, distinguish from Matthias's question is these intensity periods can be repeated over and over throughout the course of the year. So we have the big picture periodization is building that aerobic base to start the year out at least two months. Some people might need an entire year if they're messed up coming from injury, illness, burnout, but at least two months of aerobic, strictly aerobic, no strength training, no sprinting. And then you can throw in intensity blocks that last a maximum of four weeks, ideally only two to three weeks. Then you rest a bit, uh, maybe get another week back of just aerobic exercise, and then you can go do another intensity block. And you can do this throughout the season if you like to race a lot uh, or if you want to develop that total fitness aspect where you're getting good at sprinting, strength training, uh, throwing in appropriate interval workouts to improve and fine-tune that aerobic engine that you've built. So everything's in the the big picture, the crucible of having an outstanding aerobic base. Um, oh, the book lacks details on how intensity should be introduced. So just for the show and to answer your question, um, first we want to build that base and then go ahead and take a three-week block of time and say, okay, this is my intensity phase. It's an intensity block. And during this block, more of foremost importance is to reduce your training volume. So you've been building that base, you've been getting out there, you've been doing long rides, long runs, long paddle sessions, whatever your sport is, uh, and now it's time to back off. And instead of that weekend five-hour ride that you've so uh, impressively built up from two and a half to three to three and a half, now you're going to take that puppy down to two and a half, and your long ride is going to be half as long as usual because you're throwing in a sprint workout here, there, and a strength training session and putting more attention to intensity. This is the big mistake that the endurance community as a whole makes, and it has been making for decades since I've been involved, is trying to bite off everything every week. Uh, so we have the reference points of 
how a long over-distance run is so important or an over-distance bike ride. It's the foundation of your training program, and you got to go long, you got to go long. And then, of course, you got to do tempo and get used to race pace, and then you got to throw down some intervals to really build your explosiveness. And the coaches still talk about this and get into great scientific detail about the various benefits of Zone 4 and Zone 4A and Zone 4B and how these different energy systems and different anaerobic stimulation patterns of which is better uh, short intervals with uh, long rest or long intervals with short rest. And all this stuff is so far off the mark and so far off the main points of taking care of your body and balancing stress and rest and engaging in a periodization schedule where you're focusing on different forms of training during different times of the year. You can't bite off everything in a single week. You can't hone your tempo running skills on the same week that you're doing a long distance aerobic run, on the same week that you're throwing in Tuesday night intervals, on the same week that you're doing a long distance aerobic swim on another day, and especially the triathlete population is so guilty of this, of just throwing in too much stress and not enough balance with rest and downtime and not enough focus on a particular type of training. So finally, to close out Matthias's uh, deal there, when you're doing uh, short, intense workouts, or when you're in those phases, focus on that, which means, you know, take walks around the neighborhood on the other days, jog slowly, do easy swim workouts, cut the duration of your typical workout in half for three or four weeks straight so that you can put your energy into the high intensity sessions and actually improve from them and absorb and benefit from the stress rather than turn around the next day and go out there and go long while your body is in a pre-fatigued state. Um, We talk about that word in the sprinting chapter where sprinting in a pre-fatigued state is incredibly damaging not only to your muscles but your central nervous system and it will lead to Uh, it will lead down the road to burnout, which is so familiar. Um, I can tell you all about it. I've been there many, many times during my my professional career where I just tried too hard, tried to throw down too much, tried to race too frequently, travel too frequently, and then all of a sudden you're just fried, and you're fried in a literal sense because your brain neurons that govern your uh, intensity, the production of effort while you're training, are exhausted the chemical balance is off, the sodium-potassium pumps that we're familiar with when we're talking about muscles and lifting a weight to build your biceps, those things fire the brain neurons, and when those are fried, you simply don't feel like training. You simply feel like turning around instead of continuing on uh, on the workouts that you love so much and were so excited and enthusiastic about only two months prior to that. So you have to protect your motivation. You have to protect your will. You can't push yourself Uh, to engage in a workout when you don't feel like it in your brain. You have to get that close connection and that close respect for mind and body and become a more intuitive athlete where you take what your body gives you each day and nothing more. And if your body's not giving you a lot and your mind's not really fresh and willing to do it, you put a big smile on your face, you turn around and go home and realize that, boy, isn't this a great day to clean the house instead of go put in over-distance workout only two days after my intense sprint workout. Oh, boy, that's a long-winded answer, but we're hitting the you know the most fundamental points of uh, reconciling primal blueprint with primal endurance and then managing this uh, stress-rest balance when it comes to different forms of training and how to uh, properly integrate intensity into aerobics. So I think that's a good spot to 
close out the show, and we'll get another Q&A show where we do a little more rapid fire and try to get through these many, many pages of questions. So thank you for listening. Until next time, check out primalendurance.fit, brand new website, brand new multimedia online educational mastery course with everything you need to succeed as an endurance athlete. This is your host, Brad Kearns, for the Primal Endurance Podcast. I'm still holding yours. Magnum, magnum. You can lift that cannon. And you're a savage, savage. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.